Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part three of a conversation that we're having with Lisa Clifton Bumpus. Lisa is a dog trainer turned zoo consultant. She's also been a regular attendee at the horse clinics that I give in Half Moon Bay, California. Lisa values the horsework because it gives her insights into balance, which she then takes back to the team she works with in the zoos. It's so much fun for me to think that the work that we're doing with horses is helping giraffes and alligators and all sorts of other exotic animals. So that's a, a interesting ripple effect that has come about through the clinic process. So Lisa's become a good friend and I've been wanting to have this podcast conversation with her for a very long time. And the excuse for getting together was science camp. So Lisa and Dominique both were at science camp, so it seemed like the perfect time to get together for an afternoon's conversation. So far, we've talked about science camp, we've talked about constructional training, and what it means to extinguish versus abolish behavior, and we talked about building training teams. That's an area of particular interest and expertise that Lisa has. And we're about to head into a conversation about giving and taking instructions. So here's my instruction to all of you. Enjoy. One of the last conversations we had at Science Camp that has been really profound for me and that has caused home conversations, because I live with an academic, home conversations about the fact that we don't, we are not taught how to follow instructions and there are our own behaviors reinforced by not following instructions, by taking shortcuts and to learn how to be able to give instructions in a way that's consumable. But also then on the other side of that, yes. teaching how to follow instructions, which is a whole subset of operants that we don't often think about. And then we get mad at our horse yes. or our dog or whatever, when we're instructing them to do something or, our, you know, our work partners and, and they don't follow our instructions that may not have even made sense. It's a, it's an interesting thing because, and I mean, you've been to a number of the clinics and you know that it's very rare, if ever, that I will have some, I will let somebody ride in the very first day on the very first time that, that I meet them in the clinic. And one of the things that I'm looking for is can this person hear and follow instructions? Because if something goes pear-shaped and I need to say to them, you know, whatever it is, do A, then B, then C, and do it exactly as I'm telling you, because if you don't, you could get badly hurt. You know, yeah. I'm seeing that something is going wrong and I need you now to follow my voice and do what I'm telling you to do. And then we'll talk about it later. Yeah. But this is to keep you safe and your horse safe. 
And what we often, what I will encounter are people that when you're on the ground, you give instructions like, hold your right hand up as a target. And they're all befuddled. Now, which is my, my left, my right hand? And they get all befuddled. And it's not that they don't know their right from their left, but their learning history in terms of taking instruction where they have been yelled at and criticized and told that they're wrong shuts them down so that they can't process information. And so the learning together is that in this environment, in this set of conditions, you're not going to be yelled at. You're not going to be told that you're stupid. You're not going to be criticized. The learning is safe. The environment is safe. The things that I'm going to be asking you to do are things that you can do. And that over time, what I will see is this person who absolutely could not process instruction because they just were shutting down to such an extent that it was not safe to let them ride. Then now all of a sudden, they are uh, in this environment, relaxed and can hear and process and this person where you think how in the world do they survive as an adult yeah. is actually this very brilliant intelligent capable human being it's shaped behavior yeah now going back to the alligator transfer team where we train the alligator to get in the crate it's a very small zoo happy hollow in san jose is a, a wonderful family small zoo and they did not have enough people to be able to pick up a heavy wooden crate with an alligator inside. Uh, and I think the crate was six feet long, oh. with, uh, uh, two handles on either side, bar handles that went oh. on either side. Uh, and we needed people from the landscaping team. We needed people from the catering, the cafeteria team to come in. We needed people that were in the educational department come in. And everybody had to sm function smoothly with confidence that we're part of this big thing. So it just wasn't insiders who were the keepers for the alligator or just zoo staff. It was all of these people that learned how to talk to each other. And this part of the drills. And again, going back to learning how to take instruction, that was part of what we did to build this team of, you know, happy to be there, yes. wonderful volunteers, um, lots of strong backs that we needed to be able to pick this crate up and move it without jostling, jostling the alligator inside so he'd stay calm. But being, again, being heard reinforces that process and being told, yes, that's exactly what I asked you to do, yes. reinforces that process and builds those skills. And instead of blaming the learner for not understanding you, taking it as a data point that maybe I gave the wrong instructions. So we need to, to just take a moment and talk about what's going on here. That's right. I, I, I hear you a lot saying that, you know, you reframe things in a way that is very um, objective. Like you talk about data points a lot. So you don't take things personally. It's data point, you know? I, I hear you say that a lot. I try. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because in, in my own evolution 
um, since I've entered the wonderful world of positive reinforcement training, over the years, I have learned not to try to convince people who have different ethics. And it has been a big relief for me because in the beginning, I was trying to convince other people that, you know, this was the way. And then eventually I just realized that, you know, there were different ethics, different values. I wanted to surround myself with people who shared my values and ethics, and that has uh, greatly increased my happiness in life. But what I'm hearing from you is that you can make people work together, even if they don't necessarily share the same ethics and values. It's all language. And there are power struggles. I do have a story about, you know, one con consult that I was flown into and paid very well to do that it crashed and burned because the power structure at the zoo was such that there was never, ever going to be an effective team um, because of the way the power system and the hierarchy was at that zoo. And it, it breaks my heart to this day that I wasn't able to solve that, but very much like like you, I've learned that you may use a word I don't understand, or you may use a word that differently than I do, but unless I take time to figure out what it is you mean, or I observe you to understand what it is you're, you're, you're meaning, or maybe you're saying one thing and doing something else, then there's not going to be a common ground. And um, I absolutely in infancy and middle-aged portion of my reinforcement training insisted that people only sound like me and use the same words I do. And it was a very lonely place and a very frustrating place until I realized that there are lots of people who love their animals who have reinforcement going on all the time. They just don't, either they don't believe in it or they don't even know about it, or maybe they're anti- positive reinforcement training, but it still exists whether or not we have those that, that common process. And for me, that's a treasure point because when I can find what the reinforcers are, then we can build things together. And if I can find where the punishing or the aversives are, we can build things together. And, and that's what's been a, a great takeaway for me. And it's all constructional. It always comes back to that yes. for me. Yes. And I, I think that's a really powerful thing that you said about you know, that we need we need to understand what someone means with the words that they're using. We talked about agency. What does agency mean to you? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to Dominique? We might, if we started talking about it, we might discover that yeah, we both, we all three of us, kind of understand the same thing. Or oh, lo and behold, we're talking about three completely different things but until we have that conversation we don't know and so if we have if it means two completely different things to us then we're training at cross purposes you'll be thinking why you know why is she why is she doing it that way yeah we want we want to give this animal agency why in the world is she i don't know hanging on to the to the alligator's tail and trying to <laughs> That ended badly. Right. I think it's when, when <laughs> we become so insulated and insular so that, uh, and this, this actually is directly related 
to science camp um, because of the conversations I had afterwards, again, with the academic in my life yes. uh, about what I was learning, that unless we feel safe in that conversation and we accept people's differences without insisting that they sound the same way we do right. or that insisting that they behave the same way we do. Or that they adopt our language because we're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've then come we're up with a better way, so adopt it now that I've explained it. And that's all those different camps that I have actually migrated from in as I matured as a person and as a trainer. But in, until we start seeing that and, and really actively trying to learn the translation process, then there's a lot of texture and nuance that we're missing. And that uh, and I've said this publicly and I've said this privately for many years this is one of the reasons why I love the the horse training clinics, because it's not it's not a place that I'm comfortable in. I am. I feel very safe, but I don't know the language. I don't make any assumptions that you mean this when you say that or that when the animal is doing this, the horse is doing this, that it means this. I come without without those predetermined rules. And I'm a sponge just observing and listening. And I, I love it because it makes me pay really close attention to what's going on. So uh, what I see when you, when I see what you then take back to the zoos and what the work that you're doing is like, oh my goodness, the observational skills that you've been developing are just phenomenal. Just and phenomenal. And that's why I love my horse training community. I, I love everyone. I love all the conversations that I have with y'all because it enriches not just me, but that giraffe or slider the steer or bayou the alligator or the jaguar or, you know, all it, because you're teaching me not how to be locked in my perception mm -hmm. or my dictionary. It has um, all these other things. And an example would be, I left the clinic and immediately started talking to one of my teams about doing some research about blood draws and stress in animals and stress in staff doing blood draws and needle diameter size. Mm, yes. Yeah. That was interesting. And yeah, yeah. I have people who are now going to do that research uh, um, and hopefully publish. Um, that's the goal of this, what we're talking about. That came out of the conversations we had, um, you know, at Science Camp. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That will have a ripple effect. Oh, yeah. It's oh, really, a I'm, huge ripple effect. I'm really excited about it. So. Yeah. Wow. Lisa, talking about observational skills to read the animals, I'm trying to remember, we were in a cab one day, um, <laughs> and, and you, you, you told me about alligators. Mm. I think it was something about how you can tell if they're relaxed. I'm not sure what it was, but it was fascinating. Do you, do you remember what it was? Yeah, alligator toes. Okay. So very much. Um, so you guys helped me out with ho the horse analogy. Um, but when alligators are going to get up and walk or as they're preparing, if they're, unless they're frightened and it's that instant that behavior explodes, you can see it in their toes. There's a lot of preparatory behavior and a, 
a very famous dancer said, absolutely, because as I'm getting ready to move, it starts in my toes, in the tension in my toes. Um, and uh, with Bayou in particular, one of our criteria for success, for human behavior training success, was if he had his toes relaxed and splayed like this on the ground. If he so is fingers sort of spread out. Nice yeah. and spread out and relaxed. But if he's getting ready to move or is becoming stressed, you'll see the toes come together and you might see a little bit of angle in the toes changing as he's getting yeah. ready to get up. That happens in stages before he gets up and walks away. So we used to talk about Bayou's happy toes and relaxed toes <laughs> all the time in training. So that if he came to the training picture and he didn't lay down with completely relaxed, flat, and I'm going to call it the palm, the base of the, the foot, flat on the ground with the toes splayed and relaxed with space between each one, then it was not going to be a good training day because we wanted him to be as relaxed as a participant in whatever we were going to ask him to learn. Yeah. Happy alligator toes. <laughs> so to think about what would be happy horse look or happy dog look for each individual. You can often see movement and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes when I'm watching horses feet, as they're beginning to get ready to move, you'll see tension in the coronary band. You'll see that thicken or thin out, depending on how they're standing on their feet. And we used to listen to giraffe footfalls when they're walking, because they're walking on a hoof. And you could tell a relaxed sound because it was a quieter, softer block, as yes. opposed to when there was more tension in their, their bodies. You could hear more uh, of a percussion yes. that was completely different when they were walking. So it's, it's there. It is there. Yes. You can, you can hear relaxation yeah. and you can hear good balance because yeah. when, when a horse is well balanced, they're lifting, not falling. It's the fall that creates that bang, bang, bang. So you can hear good balance. Definitely. Yeah. And that was another thing, Alex, that I wanted to thank you for in the videotape. And I'm sorry, people who are listening to the, this uh, blog need to go to science camp, the next science camp, if yes. they can't participate, was the video of falling through the behavior, the horse. Oh, that, yes. was, that was, again, I, I am going to be taking that forward. And, yeah. and I'm really going to be paying close attention to uh, learners that are falling through behavior. It's That's a powerful piece. And that, that, was, that, maybe that was fascinating, it. wasn't it? So as this horse... In, in the baseline behavior, so training has not yet occurred, but in the baseline behavior, he's just walking along. He's on a loose lead. He looks very polite, very nice. You know, they're walking together. Handler comes to a stop. Horse comes to a stop. Front end stops. But he kind of jams up with his hind legs, so he ends up in that higgledy-piggledy look. And comes to a stop and then his whole torso shifts forward. So he falls through his front end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a true stop vertical coming to rest in motion. It is the motion continues. And I thought that was just, um, I call those delicious moments yes. because there's so much 
to be learned yeah. uh, in in that bit of behavior. And especially and, when you then have the contrast, yeah. where which occurred just a, a few sessions later. This horse now is walking along next to his handler. As she stops, he stops, but he steps up underneath himself. And so when he stops, his whole body stops. And he stops with, he stops. So he's standing underneath himself. He's lifted up through his front end. His whole body stops. It's like there's motion and then there's stillness. Not there's yeah. motion, stop, fall. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great piece of video. Really yeah. fascinating. And then, of course, all of Michaela's beautiful work with with Blondie. That's just uh, just such exceptional training. The the change in the emotional behavior of Blondie is staggering. Because a lot of us can get, you know, we can get horses to accept procedures. You know, in this case, it's saddling. And they'll stand there. We can put the saddle on. But they're accepting it. And they may actually be okay and comfortable. But Blondie's gone another step beyond that into this happy engagement. The, the change in her expression is just extraordinary. You know, one of the things that well, was discussed during the weekend when we when we shape and things don't go according to plan, we often say that we've probably gone too fast and we should go back, go back a step, go back two step or three steps. But Mary suggested to us that sometimes it's not about going back. Sometimes you just have to revise the whole thing. It's revision. It's right. not going back. And there were so many examples of that while Michaela was train, training with Blondie, where she wasn't going back. She would do something completely different. Well, it, it's not so much that she did something completely different, but that she is using Blondie's response as information that then allows her to revise slightly what she is asking for. So it's not like she's made some radical, oh, I'm just going to throw everything out with, the, you know, and, and begin again. But there's... But she's doing something different, not just going it's back. It's recognizing that there is a missing component, a missing step. So it's not just going back and repeating the same thing and hoping that they mm -hmm. get used to it. But there is an adjustment that's being made. That's yeah. right. It's so meaning that it wasn't just that you you went too fast and you just need to go back, but you may need to teach something else, another skill that was missing, yes. or so you're revisiting your plan, not just backtracking. Right. You're not just saying, okay, I, I did A, then I did B, then I did C. I got into trouble, so let me go back and do A, and then do B, and then do C. Exactly. And I got into trouble. Sometimes, sometimes you can. But it's saying, all right, let me go back to A and see, and really look at A and see what I need to adjust at A. What do I need to add? What do I need? What? How do I need to do this so that A is truly successful before I move mm -hmm. on to B and C? 
Yeah. But I thought that the saddling issue that Blondie had about saddle blankets and saddles themselves was a perfect example because Michaela, when in putting doing the first analysis of Blondie's relationship with being saddled or her experience with being saddled, based on her behavior response, not that she was shutting down, it was just she was could not cope at all was Michaela went to an ACE bandage or a vet wrap bandage in the process of retraining or reteaching. I'm going to take a training out of it, reteaching the components of being saddled that first started with something that she could run across her, her, her neck or just even hold it. And she actually could not start with So she, she had, at that stage where it was it was really about the girth so she got she had there was there were several important pieces in in blondie training one is that so she took a baseline so she observed mm-hmm. blondie's behavior with being saddled in the grooming tacking up area that that would be the the norm and what she saw was that blondie showed a lot of behavior that we would read as stress and that where Blondie was turning her head around and sort of doing the little air bites at Michaela and the ears were would be would flick back and and if she hadn't been tied she would have walked off so that's just getting the baseline what is the baseline relationship with the saddle the retraining one of the things that's important is that all the retraining in a different environment. So she found an environment in which Blondie was relaxed. And then she retrained all the components of saddling. And one of the components was the girth. So she had all, she'd gotten to the point where she could hold a saddle up in the air. Michaela could hold a saddle up in the air and, Michaela, and Blondie would come and walk underneath the saddle and, and Michaela could would could then set it down on her neck and that was all fine but reaching under even if there was no girth created a reaction so using the ace bandage was using a a leg wrap that's what it was was a leg wrap but the leg wrap unrolled created the same kind of reaction that the girth created so initially it was rolled the bandage up into a ball. So it doesn't even look like a girth. And she created a pattern that she used throughout the training. So the pattern stayed the same, even if the object appeared to be different. So it was always touch the neck, touch the shoulder. You know, there was a sequence that she went through each time. And so that remained constant. So. One of the things that could be highlighted from that as well is how important patterns are. Our horses... Predictability. Predictability really makes a difference. Yeah, it's critical information. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because yesterday I had a guest for... We have a curfew, so it was like an early uh, dinner. Yes. And my guest was we kind of had agreed that he would be here between four and five. Normally, I would have 
been prepared for him to be here at four because we had said between four and five so that if he had arrived at five, I probably would have been a little bit, um, well, not grumpy, but you know, it's, it's not as pleasant as if someone arrives at four when you expect them that. But there's this application, you know, there's ways where he just sent me his ways trajectory And I knew exactly at what time he was going to arrive. And I could follow him all the way to my house. And so I was in a super good mood when he arrived at five because I expected it. Yes, I knew that he was going to be here exactly at what time I could follow him. So there was, it was predictable. And so there was none of the, I don't want to say grumpiness, but not the stress unpleasantness that there would have been if I had not known the extinction behavior it's that example that that Jesus used of the difference between the uh, uber and a taxi where you know you call you summon your 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 ride and it's a taxi and they'll say well we'll be here in 20 minutes and then 20 minutes they're not quite there and you're starting to go through whatever extinction behaviors are in your repertoire because you don't know when the taxi is going to arrive, or even if it's going to arrive. That's right. But with the Uber, you know, they say we're going to be there in 20 minutes, and and you can see the little car. Yes, it just turned left on Elm, and now it's on right on Oak Street, and it will be here in the time that it, it says. It's totally different. No more anxiety. Yeah, patterns are... Yeah, patterned, patterned exercises. Knowing what's coming yes, next. Yes, so that predictability is so important, which means that as handlers, we have to be, and that gets back to the instruction again, but we have to be able to follow instructions. We have to be able to repeat instructions. We have to know what it is that we're doing, to be aware of what we're doing, so that we can provide the clarity, the consistency that our learners need when we're applying the, the concepts that we're learning in terms of what goes into good training. Really important. Yeah. I think for me, the, um, the whole process of instruction and expectations, I can share with people, I took a, a lesson from a very famous person, not an American English was a shared language, although the cultures and how English is as a language is used are completely different. And I'm taking a lesson and I felt like I was listening to someone whose language I didn't even understand whatsoever. And because going to what Dominique was saying about the expectations of their instruction not being yes. met caused an arousal change in my instructor who I then could feel and see because at one point in time, I got an eye roll and a chuff (laughs) and then an abrupt end of the lessons. And it, it felt so hard for me because I was trying really, really hard, but I didn't understand anything. I didn't know the room I was in. I didn't know the lesson that I was taking. I couldn't understand the English that was being spoken or the expectations of my teacher. And I'm a very like the, as Dominique, you know, said, I observe, I'm soaking in the environment all the time, like one of our animals. And I was, I was really upset that um, I didn't, I wasn't doing right. Mm. It was really interesting. So excuse me. 
someone who's <laughs> insisting being part of the picture. Yes. Someone's, <laughs> someone's needs need to be met. <laughs> Demand was going to increase to a bark. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I, th I think that um, a lot of the things that we talked about during science camp were real profound pieces of, of embroidered fabric for me, the, is the analogy I like, where I can take apart and I need to look at all the different kinds of stitching, all the different kinds of information yeah. that was in. And I often spend a year processing that information. Mm, I know. <laughs> but I love that. Yes. I love that. Yes. 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 Yes, definitely. That you begin using it instantly. Yeah. Uh, the next, the next mm -hmm. time you're, it's not even the next time you're in contact with a, another learner. It's you begin using it instantly within your own being, but then it just unfolds deliciously. All of this, this, you know, how do I think about the training relationships? How do I think about my training? Um, and yeah, it's I, one of the things that I, I get such a chuckle over with Jesus, you know, he was saying, yeah, we knew this. We knew it back, you know, this is what the Poison Q research was showing us. We've known this, but we haven't known what we've known. And that's the fun of it. We haven't known what we've known. So it's, it's getting clearer. The pieces of the puzzle are fitting beautifully together. And it's just really exciting. It's an exciting time to be in the training world, I think. I agree. Well, I think for me anyway, maybe because I haven't been as long as you guys, but I think for me, it's, it's, I'm going to be much, much more deliberate in using these things in my training. I don't know that I knew this to the level that, you know, was explained to me. Well, that, that's the point. I mean, a simple example. The, the main thrust of what Jesus in particular is talking about is the environment behavior of pairing. And mm -hmm. you'll have somebody who says, oh, my dog, I want to teach my dog to come even. And, and when I'm outside, he's he chases after squirrels and instead of coming when I, when I call. So what did people say from the very beginning? Go into your kitchen. Teach him to come in your kitchen. It, that's recognizing the don't fight extinction. Don't try and teach your, your dog to come in an environment that already has these, uh, where, where his behavior of chasing squirrels is well established and where you're fighting against those stimuli and you're not in a calm environment. Go into your kitchen and teach him to come. And then change the environment slightly and having him come and then make another slight change in the environment and have him come. It's like we knew this. We did know it, but we didn't talk about it in this. We didn't talk about it. And what we talked about instead was behavior is determined by its consequences, which is true, but we were taking behavior, not the environment and the behavior pairing. So we we devalued the environment. Yeah, yeah. And it's so it makes everything, I think, more easy because you know I've been struggling to teach my horses to stay still for a long time in the arena. 
And I've been trying like lots of different things, lots of different cues, trying to understand what cues they were responding to. And I was doing pretty good, but not, it was not a clean loop. I would get a lot of false start, false departures that I hadn't asked for. And I just changed. I just took all the three horses in the stables. And I thought, you know, where, where's the place where they never move or barely move? In the shower. You know, usually in the shower, they know that's a place where we're not going to be. You just stay there and I get the grooming things. And, and so I restarted from there and they were good instantly. Yeah. You know, I could I could go away at the other end of the of the stables and they would just stay not not and I I I use the rope on the just on the around the neck because I want to be able to transfer this in the arena. Yeah. So I I'm thinking maybe, I don't know, we'll see, maybe this will be something that I can take so they can understand that it's the same behavior yeah. we're working on. So now I'm going all over the, st the stables for long periods of time and they're just staying there. And it was so easy. It was the first session. Yeah. So you had the behavior. You just didn't know you had the behavior. Yeah, because they know they know how yeah, to stand still, right? So I thought, okay, where's a place where I will get standing still? Yeah. And let me start there anew. Yeah. You know, we'll just restart the whole thing where I know my chances are pretty good. And then with Bonanza, because he doesn't like the shower that much, I wasn't getting, the, because uh, Pico and, and Woody, it was right away 100%, like really 100%, you know, it yeah. was like a miracle. Yeah. But Bonanza, I was getting a little bit of movement and I thought, oh yeah, he doesn't like the shower that much. So we just transferred to another part in the, in the, in the stables where I knew he would be still there. So instead of, you know, fighting against it in the arena yeah, where- Don't fight extinction. Yeah, I just restarted yeah. it inside and now I'm going to transfer it. And so for me, it's a much more deliberate use yes. of the environment to help me out yes. in my training. Which, which I was, I was not, you know, I would change props, I would do that. But now it's like my head is exploding with all kinds of ideas about how I can manipulate yeah. the environment. I wasn't digging like that before, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't always thinking, okay, where am I already getting this behavior? Or what is my starting point? I want this behavior. What is my starting point? And where do I get, where can I consistently get the first rung of the ladder? Yeah. And you know, another thing that was repeated many times, which is one of your phrase was don't teach over your own, uh, don't train over your own Thanks. mistake. I don't know. Yeah. How do you say it exactly? That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes that's what we do. And because we're thinking, oh, I'm going to, to backtrack a little bit, but we're still training over our own mistake. Yeah. And we just need to start somewhere else, work on another piece. So my way of shaping is exploding yeah. now. Yes. And I love it yes. because I feel like I have a hundred more tools in my box that I didn't have before.
when I got stuck. Fair and neat. I think that is a great place to end. A great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, we'll let people's heads explode on that thought. (laughs) (laughs) It seems almost unfair, but that's where we'll leave for today. So Lisa, it's been a delight. It was a delight sharing the weekend with you and it's a delight to spend this extra time in conversation. Science camp will always be uh, something I attend if at all possible. It is that important to my welfare as a trainer, continuous (laughs) development. It's really, really important. And I'm always really grateful for the people who attend, whether they're the instructors or the participants, because it's, it's just really so meaty and wonderful. Because everybody is involved. Yeah. You know, the discussions are what really drive the discoveries and that help us to see, that help us to bring these concepts to life. So we really understand them. Yeah. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've had a wonderful time talking to you. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Dominique. So, Science Camp. Thank you, Lisa, for such a great endorsement of the experience. Jesus, Mary, Michaela, and I, we had a discussion immediately after Science Camp, and we all agreed that We didn't want to wait a whole year before we held another one. So we're going to go camping twice this year. Our next science camp is September 3 through 6, 2021. For those of you in the U.S., that's Labor Day weekend, so that should make it a a little easier for people. It's going to be another virtual event. The start times are set to central time. So in terms of time zones, it's doable for those of us in North America and Europe. That's the great news. We'd love to have you come join us, but from your perspective, the bad news is we're almost full. This is the first public announcement that I'm making about the science camp in September, but we only have a couple of spots left. So if you want to join us, do get in touch with me sooner rather than later. The details are on my website, theclickercenter.com. And I I know many of you listen to these podcasts long after the publication date. And if that's the case, it will probably mean that Science Camp is already full. But if this sounds like something you'd enjoy, do contact me to get on the list of people that we notify about future Science Camp events. That's your best shot at being able to grab one of the spots. We do limit the size, the number of people who attend, so that we can really keep the, the discussions. And you know, if the group gets too large, it changes the nature of the event. So if you want to join us, do get in touch with me. The format of Science Camp lets us dig down deeper into a topic than we can normally do at conferences. So in September, we're going to continue to explore stimulus control and related topics. And I'm sure coming out of that, we'll have an interesting post-science camp podcast as a result. I love having a year of events to look forward to. They really draw me forward through the seasons. So there's science camp in February and now science camp in September. And then in between there are all the virtual clinics. So if you can't make science camp, do look at the virtual clinics. They're just phenomenal, 
phenomenal events. It's great to get together with other positive reinforcement trainers and the, the detail of the learning, the focus, the way that we can really dig down into a topic through the virtual format has just been fascinating to me that in many ways, it's a much better way to look at training than to actually be there with the animals. It seems like it shouldn't be. I mean, we want to, we're animal people. We want to be with our horses. We want to, you know, be right there with them. But it actually turns out that the virtual events give us the best of all worlds because yes, we can still be with our horses. We're not having to travel, which means that we can be with our horses. We're not having to leave them at home nor are we stressing them by taking them to a new location. So it's it's a win-win for us all. And through the video analysis, we can look in detail at just critical elements that make the world of difference in training. So I've been really pleased by the virtual events. I'm finishing up the editing on this podcast in the early morning. And this afternoon, I'm going to be starting a getting started with clicker training clinic. You know, and I love that, that because I'm not getting on an airplane, that there is that efficiency of the workflow. And the getting started clinic is one that I've really been looking forward to. I love starting out new teams. And the virtual format is such a great way to get people, to get people successfully started. The horse is still in his home environment. He hasn't traveled to a new stable before he's ready to travel, before you've got a repertoire of behaviors built up through clicker training that can help him adjust to a new environment. He's there at home where he can be comfortable. And that's really truly where the training should begin. And for this weekend, I have the proverbial overstuffed suitcase prepared. There's so much that we really need to cover in that first dive into clicker training. So I'm really looking forward to unpacking that proverbial suitcase through the course. After the getting started clinic, there's the series one clinic on extinction and loopy training. That's in mid-April. And then towards the end of April, there's the new energy and emotions clinic. All the horse spots for that second clinic are already taken, but there's still some non-horse spots available. So to learn more about the clinics, do visit my website, theclickercenter.com, and check out the events section to see what just tickles your fancy, what meets your, your needs and your schedule. And I hope to see you at one of these events. So stay safe and have fun with your horses. Thank you.